Hey, here we are, Sandwich Society. Before I get started, I want to give a shout out to a monthly supporter of the show, but not only for his financial contribution. He did just increase it like today, the day I'm recording this, which is awesome. But because of an email he sent me, I want to read it to you. His name is Frank, and I, I don't know if he wants me to <laughs> to out him or uh, publicly shout out. So I won't mention his last name. Frank's generic enough. You don't you won't know who it is. Uh, but Frank, if I know you're going to listen to this because of what you wrote that I'm about to read. So uh, if you do want a, an official shout out to you or uh, your company or whatever, let me know. I'm happy to do it. Um, so here is what he wrote to me very recently. Hello, Mark. As of Friday, February 2nd, I have now listened to all 168 of your podcasts. I feel like I have been in an amazing classroom, sitting in the front row and soaking it all in. I need to take a few minutes of your time to tell you what this means to me. I have listened to your podcast as I either work out, do my ruck walks, or drive from customer to customer from Texas throughout the western U.S. in our sales territory. Here is the interesting thing. I have never listened to more than a few podcasts, and those for only a time or two. Not even sure how I learned about your podcast, but was hooked after listening to a few, and that is when I decided to go back to the beginning when you first started your podcast. I am a 72-year-old man who has always thought I have more to do, more to learn, and more to give. I'm not going to stop until I can no longer contribute. That is what your podcast is all about. The experiences, the people, the ideas, it all makes a positive difference. As an example, your recent podcast with Anurag Rai said it all, never, never give up. Keep moving forward. Thank you for being a great teacher and allowing me to take a seat in your worldwide classroom. Looking forward to many more classroom sessions. All the best to you, Frank. Chills. Goosebumps. I, <laughs> I got to tell you, if it were not for people like Frank, for emails like that, I, I probably would have abandoned this project. But to know that it does reach a few people, that it resonates, the message resonates with someone out there, uh, it keeps me going. So thanks again, Frank, and thank you for all who, who support the show financially. But thank you if, even if you don't and you just enjoy the show and you're listening. I really appreciate you more than you know. Okay, on to today's topic. So here we are, but there I was a little more than a week ago in Awaji, Japan, to give a TEDx talk. I already consider this a significant bucket list item that I can now cross off, which I think is important to do for all of us. Not the TEDx talk, but whatever your bucket list item is, don't just leave them on a piece of paper or in the back of your mind, actually do these things, actually cross these things off. Pick one and go after it this year. Anyway, while I was there, I had the idea that I would do a podcast on things I learned about life while doing a TEDx talk. It is a unique experience after all. So I took notes the entire weekend I was there in Awaji. But after I made some posts online about, hey, I finally did it, I did a TEDx talk, I got the question frequently in, in DMs and messages uh, to me, hey, how did you do that? How did you come to get to be able to do a TED Talk? How, how were you chosen? How did you arrange it? So because I had several people ask me that, I will answer that first. And before I answer that question, I think it's 
pertinent to answer the question, well, why? Why do a TEDx talk? This episode is about why, how I did it, and three things I learned by doing a TEDx talk here on this episode of Sand Sandwich. You're listening to Zen Sandwich, a podcast for the independent mind and anyone who embraces life despite its absurdities. Join former attorney and professor turned Japanese papermaker Mark Reed each week as he talks with creative, inspiring, and influential people, or as he shares his own research to help make your world a little better today than it was yesterday. Before I go any further, let me give a shout out to the sponsor of this episode. That's MandateToElevate.com. That address will be in the show notes. Go give them a visit after you listen to this episode. Mariah and Byron Edgington have a blog there. They've got a free gratitude journal. They've got affirmations. If you just go there to pick up the affirmations to do those in the morning, I assure you, your day is going to be a better day every day. Go get free affirmations there if you do anything. But you can also contact them there. There's a contact form. You can sign up for one of their courses. They've got books there, the Journey Well series. I've read the books. Everything they do there is I support. Uh, it, it's right in line with what I do here on the show. So go to MandateToElevate.com and tell them I sent you. So as I said in the intro, before I answer the how I got to do the TEDx talk, I should say something about, well, why? Why did I do it in the first place? To borrow from Sir Edmund Hillary. And if you don't know who that is, he is the guy attributed with the first to summit Mount Everest. Though it is important to note he did not do it alone. And unfortunately, Tenzig Norgay, who went with him, a Nepalese climber, doesn't ever get mentioned. It's always about Sir Edmund Hillary. He he wasn't by himself. Tenzig Norgay went with him. People should acknowledge that. Anyway, when asked about why he climbed Mount Everest, Sir Edmund Hillary responded, because it was there. I believe that we should occasionally take on difficult tasks in life simply because they are indeed a challenge. Why? Well, because we emerge stronger and wiser even when we fail. Listen to that last part again. Take on big tasks in life. Like, well, you don't have to climb Everest, but uh, TED Talk, climb Mount Fuji, that's doable. Because even if you fail, even if you even if you fail on the TEDx talk or Fuji, you still will be a stronger, wiser person for having tried it. So for me, TEDx is out there, just like Everest. I'm not going to climb Everest, but TEDx is there, and it carries with it the stigma of being somewhat elite, an elite stage to be on, and. You know, kind of like getting a black belt or an advanced college degree. Once it's done, no one can ever take that away from you. You know, I stopped being a lawyer, but nobody can take that JD away from me that I I earned. And thus, I will henceforth be a TEDx speaker. No one can ever take that away. So, you know, it was there. It was a summit to climb. So I did. All right. Now the how. Knowing that it was a summit I had wanted to reach for a long time, I just started sticking my big toe in the door, trying to get my whole foot in. <laughs> it started online, as most things these days do. I went to the, the official TED site, 
and you can look up TEDx events scheduled throughout the year all over the world. So I began reaching out to the organizers of these events. I found them on social media or I tracked down their email addresses. You know, you can look on the TEDx site, the the organizer's name. So then you just have to kind of Sherlock Holmes it from there and find, you know, find where they are out there. And uh, I wrote to them. There were three cities that, that fit, Sapporo, Kobe, and Awaji, Awaji Island. Kobe and Awaji both got back to me. Sapporo never did. They didn't respond. Uh, they're lost, you know. Kobe was booked already. This was about six months before their event. And they had a slate of speakers. And the Awaji folks contacted me. And I interviewed through Zoom and pitched my idea worth spreading. They, uh, they said they'll get back to me. And they did and said, you've made the cut. I'll spare you the remaining details because this episode isn't supposed to be about the logistics of getting ready for the event, but that's in a nutshell how I got the gig. I sought it out. I think there's a life lesson in that as well. Don't wait for people to ask. If you want something, go after it. All right, now on to the meat of the episode, or tofu bacon or tofurkey. Isn't that what it's called? <laughs> Tofu and turkey uh, for you vegans out there. Whatever. I'm, I'm trying to appease everybody, which usually gets people in trouble, but I digress. My observations and what I learned about life from doing a TEDx speech. Here are the three biggies that stuck out to me. Number one, numero uno, or ichiban, as we say in Japanese. The way you talk is just as important as what you say. You probably know this already, but it's almost funny how the delivery can sometimes overshadow the content itself. I found that for the purposes of delivering a speech, which is which is a different sort of animal than doing a podcast. Uh, podcasts, I have the benefit of being able to go back and edit and cut and amplify my voice here or tone it down if I get too animated, etc. A speech is a live, one-time, one-shot deal, right? So I found that speaking calmly, pausing strategically, and maintaining a confident pace throughout had a significant impact on the audience. Two people afterwards even approached me to share how much the speech resonated with them. That really, I got to tell you, it made my day because it's one thing for the organizers or your wife, my wife who was there, to say, hey, that was great, Mark. Well, great job. I loved it. Of course, they're going to say that, you know, and maybe they're being genuine. I'm not saying that they weren't, (laughs) but two strangers approached me and uh, said that they really liked what I had to say. It made me realize that when I was expressing genuine emotion in my speech, that that was just as much of a powerful tool in communication as the actual words I was saying. Because I did try to convey real feelings in what I was talking about. Don't get me wrong, the words had to be good too. But I don't think it's an 80-20 split, content versus delivery. I, I think it's pretty close to 50-50. And you need them both. You can't have one without the other. Delivery is just about, almost practically speaking, as important as the message itself. All right, number two. Something else I observed among my fellow TEDx speakers, including myself, was the way they and I were dressed. And the reason I have listed this as a life lesson learned is that I think there's something bigger than the observation, hey, we just don't dress up like we used to, because we don't. 
I think the deeper takeaway from our attire is that we are more interested in authenticity these days. Really. You know, in the past, most people listening to this will be too young to actually remember this, but you might have some knowledge of it. In the past, people used to dress up to go on a, a plane ride. I mean, nowadays, if people can take it too far. The <laughs> Nowadays, people get on a plane with flip-flops and in their pajamas. <laughs> Let's dial it back. Let's go back to the dressing up just a bit. But in the early days of commercial air travel, the men, and it was mostly men flying at that time, would wear suits, ties, stylish hats you see from Mad Men or whatever, the 1950s kind of, I don't know what you call those hats. And they could, <laughs> this is a, a digression, but they could smoke on the plane too. I am actually old enough to remember my first flight on the now defunct Braniff Airlines. I was about 12 and I got off the plane smelling like an ashtray. <laughs> it's astonishing that you used to be able to smoke on flights. Anyway, but during the event, the TEDx event, I noticed that speakers were rocking casual attire from blue jeans to everyday clothes. One guy wore almost a Hawaiian shirt. <laughs> I mean, I imagine that could be appropriate if it was relevant to his speech, but it wasn't. He just wanted to be comfy, I guess, and look cool, I suppose. It worked. And you know what else? No one seemed to notice or care. There were no suspicious glances or overheard whispering or gestures that seemed to indicate, I can't believe he wore that. There was no vibe at all that anyone cared, minded, or even faintly noticed what we were wearing, except for me, I guess. It just struck me as a shift in societal perspective, and I think in a good way, in this. I really do think that it is more than a desire for comfort. It feels like we value authenticity over putting on a facade. When I wore a suit and tie as a lawyer, yeah, I looked nice. <laughs> I felt that way. Hey, man, I'm looking sharp today. But at the same time, it did feel like a monkey suit. <laughs> that tie felt like a leash. It didn't feel like me. This TEDx experience was a reminder that being yourself is more viable than trying to appear as something you're not. All right, number three. And for me, this is the biggie. Despite knowing that the minutia of my speech would ultimately not matter much in the grand scheme, I still found myself agonizing over the tiniest details. I guess I wouldn't say agonize, but I did fret. <laughs> fret, that's a good word. I fretted about the possibility of needing to pause during my speech in case I got lost or forgot something. Like more than a pause, like a substantial pause. If I got stuck and I couldn't remember where I was. That did kind of happen at one point. I just had to take a second look at the slide on the screen. And remember, I'm in Japan, so the slides were in Japanese. But the thing is, no one really noticed or cared that I needed a few seconds there. And I knew they wouldn't. I mean, that's understandable, right? If you're watching a speech, somebody, you can tell, you see them on stage and like, oh, that, that guy's stuck. He, he got lost in his speech somewhere. You give them a moment because they're a human being, right? 
and I knew that people would be forgiving of that. I logically knew no one would notice if I used this word instead of that one that was in my written text. No one would notice as long as I delivered on the message. The compelling lesson here to me was that even though I knew that beforehand and accepted that and, and, and did take some comfort in that, I still couldn't prevent myself from worrying about it. I, I couldn't stop it. I couldn't stop the nerves about it. Admittedly, it wasn't my most zen moment. <laughs> I wonder, is it a Darwinian instinct, a need for belonging, a desire to be liked, a desire for perfection, an aversion to making mistakes for some reason? Like, why did I get twisted about the details when I knew the details wouldn't matter in the end and no one in the crowd would remember? To me, the third lesson of life in this experience, even when we know the details won't have a lasting impact, we still worry about them. It's a quirk of human nature, a reminder that our actions are often driven by deeper, sometimes irrational motivations. So here's your five minute zen on this one. Accept the shakes. Accept it when you get some nerves. Your zen here is that you can't always be a zen master. Zen is just about paying attention to the way things are. That, that's Zen in a nutshell, honestly. Just pay attention to the way things are and accept it for what it is. And there's more to it than that, but, you know, that's the, that's the Cliff Notes version. That's all I got for this one. Your delivery is just as important as your content. Both are more important than what you're wearing, within reason. And finally, you just can't help yourself sometimes. You're just going to worry about stuff even when you know you shouldn't. That's part of the human experience. Take refuge in your own nervousness if you can. It means you're human. You're alive. Congratulations. And that's always something to be grateful for. All right, folks. If you enjoyed this episode, please visit ZenSandwich.com and support the show. It's what keeps me going, even if you just chip in a fiver. That helps me get up the hill paying the bills and i i do have a macbook fund going right now i'm doing all this at the moment on backup equipment still getting the job done but it's a little tougher and uh it's just time for an upgrade and your help is appreciated regardless thanks for listening and breathe don't forget to breathe